everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 39. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. I want to remind everyone listening, after this episode, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free digital subscription to the Rootless Living magazine. And don't forget why you're here to subscribe to this podcast. Now, you might notice a big difference in the audio of this episode is I had a listener named Edward reach out and basically say, hey, he needs to help me. He needs to help fix my audio levels between myself and my guest, and I immediately took him up on the offer. I want to work really hard to get the best audio possible, even though I record these on the road and I interview people that are living on the road. And clearly, that doesn't make for the ideal podcast recordings. Now, a big shout out to Edward. He did an amazing job. If you want to find out more about ET Media, check the link in the show notes. And again, thanks, Ed. Today I'm talking to Rick. He travels solo and has been for quite a few years while running his own freelance business, but he also helps run the marketing side of things for his family's business that's actually in the RV industry. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, and with that, I want to welcome Rick to the show. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Actually, take two. Full disclosure, Rick and I recorded this before, and it was the first time I ever had like just a weird like echo we, I can't even explain it through the entire podcast. And I, I just think most people would give up and quit. And I don't want people to do that. I want people to be able to hear your story. So if it sounds like Rick and I somewhat know each other, it's because I've actually already interviewed him. We practiced. Yes, yes, yeah. we did. We had a good rehearsal. My first rehearsal <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so this has probably changed maybe, but where are you right now in the world? I am in the Columbia River Gorge. So I'm on the Washington side, like 30 minutes from Portland, Oregon. Nice. And yeah. What do you consider yourself? Full-timer, part-timer, some-timer? I'm full-time. I would say I'm a full-timer. Nice. And what are you traveling in? I currently have, it's a 1983 13-foot scamp. So wow. I travel small. Yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. That'll be interesting. I'm excited to talk about that. Now, when yeah. did this start for you? When did, would you consider you went full nomadic? So my, yeah, I guess my anniversary is June 1st. So June 1st of 2016. So it was four years this last June. Nice. And June 1st happens to be a date that I get a lot in the show. It's my day too. You're a year more experienced than me. I was a freshman <laughs> and you were a sophomore. Yeah. Just kidding. I was a sophomore, yeah. yeah. Us older kids. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> well, let's go back to before June 1st, 2016. Where were you living? What were you doing for a work and stuff like that and then what made you decide to go full nomadic uh, i lived in boulder colorado at the time and i lived that was i was living there for six years and before that i was in denver for 10 years so i was in colorado for a long time and i've been a freelance graphic designer for about 12 years so i always worked from home um that was something i always did so yeah I, you know i would take trips and i think the last trip i took was to san francisco and I still had that urge to travel. You know, sometimes you come back and you feel like you're glad to be home and, uh, you know, you're, you're good to be been in your surroundings. I just kind of always felt like I just wanted to keep traveling. And it was just something I always had in my, in my mind. My parents started an RV industry business. So that was always kind of around. And uh, I don't know, I made that conscious decision to think about it. And from October until the is when I started really thinking about it. And then that following June, I had everything in order and I left. I think I do recall that the first time we talked that that was basically my time frame as well, too, which I find funny that it's like in that six to eight months is where a lot of people can find a way to pull the trigger. 
and get going. And I think a lot of people think it takes a lot more time and like planning to do it. And it really doesn't. I mean, I've heard quicker ones too, but that seems to be about kind of the norm. Yeah. And I think I got lucky because of my job. I know I've talked to a lot of people who had to re, you know, think about, oh, I have to change careers or I have to figure out how to make money on the road. I already had that. So I was very fortunate that I didn't have to make any sort of transition in that respect. It was, you know, I just, you know, I had to fudge the way I did some some of my business things. But uh, other than that, it was just, yeah, just find, get rid of my stuff and find a rig I was happy with and, you know, just hit it running. Now, did you have any RV experience kind of before you went and bought one and lived in one? No, no. I mean, we, my parents had a pop-up camper and we were growing up. So I knew a little bit about those. Uh, but no, I've never, I never drove one. I never really, you know, I knew a little bit about it only because like I said, my parents' business and I would research and kind of do things like that. But I never, yeah, I really didn't have any experience. I always knew I want, that first rig I had was a C-class camper. For whatever reason, I always knew I wanted one of those. I never wanted a trailer at the time. I wanted something that was, you know, I could just, I'd be driving, I could stop it, and I could just be there. I was, I always, still, I always knew that. But yeah, I had no experience. The first time I ever drove one that big was when I, I ended up buying mine in Arizona when my parents were at the time. I, you know, flew down there, we put the solar system in, and I drove it back. And that was the first time I really have ever driven a big camper like that. That's crazy. I, and, you know, just side note, I feel like pop ups, like that's still camping. You know what I mean? That's just, you, oh, have a, yeah. you have a tent on wheels where I feel like, you know, for myself, and I'll speak for myself, you know, I have a 42 foot fifth wheel. It's a condo on wheels. It, this is not camping. <laughs> it's a condo but, yeah. But I mean, I think pop-up is still really there because it doesn't, it, you don't have all like the basic home necessities that you do in a class C or a travel trailer or a fifth wheel. So when people say, no, we go camping and we have a pop-up, I completely, I, I'm, you're still in the camping mode with a pop-up, which is Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yes, for sure. So you don't have the same rig, obviously. How many rigs have you gone through in the last four years? It was just the two. So I had an old an old C-Class. This is a 27-footer. And just because I wasn't sure if I wanted to, how long I wanted to do this, I just wanted to buy something that I could just pay cash with. So it was older. So that kind of... we I had that up until last... Almost like a year ago, I would, I would have been just getting rid of it. And then I bought the Scamp that following October. So yeah, only the two rigs. And I mean, to go from 27 to 13, that's got to be a, a huge difference. And <laughs> I bet going from an apartment to 27 was a huge difference. But then you probably figured out, you know what, I can even go smaller. What was the reasoning behind going smaller? Uh, there were quite a few. So at the time, last summer, I decided that I was going to go to Mexico um, so I always wanted, I wanted something smaller for that trip in general. And also last fall, I bought a Jeep. So I was actually pulling the Jeep with the C-Class camper. So I, I did a trip from Colorado back to Washington. The C-Class camper just kind of, it had a lot of problems. It was, it was maybe the stressful, most stressful two weeks of traveling I had. So the camper that had to go, I still wanted to keep the Jeep. I wanted something small for Mexico. So I'm like, what can I do? You know, what can I, is there a rig that I can, you know, that I could buy that I could still, that I could keep the Jeep. I could go to Mexico and then from there, figure things out. So that, I found the scamp and um, so far I've loved it. And I've, you know, I don't want to get rid of it, you know? So, you know, I said, well, maybe I'll just keep it for a few months and sell it after my Mexico trip is over. But I have, you know, as of now, I have no plans to do that. 
Has it been a big transition though, going from 27 to 13 or has it been? It, oh yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, there's just, you know, yeah, there's just not a lot of space. Like my Jeep pretty much, I always kind of joked has turned into my pantry, you know? <laughs> so I had to build out like a tree, you know, some storage in the back, you know, then a lot of stuff goes back there. And, uh, yeah, it's a huge adjustment. So, you know, like, I mean, I felt like I got, I got rid of a lot of things when I moved into the 27 foot. Then I just re- realized like how much that I had in that ring that I couldn't even take to this one. So, um, yeah, you find out what's really important. So what you actually really do need. And it is, you know, I think in the, in the long run is a good thing, you know, cause there's so much stuff that you don't really need. I'm always about, I love the fact of, I like simplicity and I, and I guess I do kind of like the challenge of doing something that small as well. I, I find that fun. Yeah, I do too now. And it's funny that I've talked about this on the show that I wish I would have done this at a younger age and maybe just for a season or two. But I think what it would have instilled in me immediately early on that just wasn't instilled in me, that less is definitely more, that the idea of some sort of square footage house makes no sense, that you don't need those things that probably people look at as the American dream or some sort of status symbol. And it really does change you because I went through the same thing. I went through two moves before I got into the RV. And then about a year and a half into the RV, I was like, I need to... Like even look at the stuff that I have in the RV. Have I used it a year and a half? And and I don't mind admitting this out loud, but I think this is an <laughs> Oprah Winfrey trick where she talks about putting your clothes in your closet with the hanger backwards. So, you know, the hanger is on the opposite side of the pole in a way. And if every oh, July yeah. or January you look in your closet and that hanger still happens to be backwards, then you know you haven't worn that item of clothing for like an entire year. And why are you keeping it? And I was like, it's those kind of things that you start to kind of look at. I, I too, at 42 feet, kind of feel like we could go a lot smaller. I'm enjoying it for now, but I know that I could do that if I needed to. Yeah, there is something good about that, about getting rid of things. And um, right before I moved to Boulder, I lived in a cabin up in the mountains for about eight months. And it was like a furnished little thing. So I didn't have to worry about taking, you know, like anything, you know, I had a bed and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, basically I had a, a Jeep at the time. And basically I think I took my computer, some clothes and my camping gear. Hmm. And that's all I took with me. And that's all I really needed, you know, because, you know, my computer is my work, is my entertainment. Um, I went, you know, camping on the weekends. I mean, everything I I, I really needed in my life, I could fit in the back of my Jeep easily. So I already kind of had a little bit of experience, you know, living in a small little cabin like that. It was easy to get rid of things. And, you know, I still hold on to things that I'm like, why do I still have this? But for whatever reason, I can't quite let go. And I still have a storage unit in Colorado as well that, I keep telling myself, why am I paying money for this? Because it's, I don't think I've looked at it in three years. Now, is there so, yeah. like heirloom stuff in there or things that are priceless from a memory standpoint? Or is it just furniture? Yeah. You know, I have like a couple of chairs from my college days. I actually have like a, an old, like an old chair that my grandpa gave me. So a few sentimental things, you know, but I could probably get rid of 90% of the things that are in there. You know, but for whatever reason, yeah, sometimes it's always tough to get rid of things. And, but I make it, a, it is just a challenge to say, all right, so I don't need these things. I can live without them. They could either be, you know, sent to someone else could use them. You know, I've given, actually given away a few things that were in there to friends when I go back to visit, you know, like that people could actually use instead of just sitting in a, in a storage unit, you know, some lamps and chairs and such. So, yeah, I think a lot of that stuff could go away. Without a doubt. Well, let's yeah, be happy with it. Let's transition into work. I know we hinted and talked about it a little. So you're a graphic designer that was basically mm-hmm. remote and looks like you had clients that were just contract or on retainer. And so making the transition to going nomadic was pretty easy. How did your clients respond? Did they know? Did they care? Was it an issue at all? 
Uh, you know, not really. And I was a little surprised. I thought maybe there'd be a few that would have some that would have some issues with it. But you know, for the most part, like most people are too busy. They don't really want or have the time to meet with you face to face. So most things are done over over email and you know text message and all that phone calls anyway. So I don't really think I lost any clients because I moved. You know, I think there's a few people who, regardless if I saw them or not, felt more comfortable if I was around. You know, but um, everyone took it well. You know, I've a lot of the clients I've had, I've had for a long time. We had a good relationship, and uh, so they worked with me well. And and um, it's been going on for four years, and a lot of those clients I still have. So it's it's been a very positive experience. Yeah, it's weird. It's hit and miss when I've talked to people about this. Where I mean, I literally, have heard stories where they've never met face to face. They're not even in the same state. But the idea of working with someone that's traveling is just too weird for them. Like somehow they won't be able to be on call or, and it's so weird to me. Like I, even in my old job, I told my boss when I was getting hired, I wanted to move to Texas from California in the interim of working there, the RV idea came up and I was really not very vocal about it in the beginning because I wanted to, you know, get some kind of experience behind me and then start getting vocal. And if they said anything, I could say, Hey, I've been doing it for six months mm-hmm. and it wasn't yeah. an issue. Why isn't it an issue now? But I always wonder about that with clients. Like if it becomes an issue, how is the response been now that you're doing it in the sense that when you're talking to clients and you're different, are they more engaged with kind of your lifestyle or is it just same business as usual? Oh, a lot of them are always, you know, they're, they're always fascinated. They always want to hear some stories for sure. And I think people are always fascinated where I'm at. And I think there's some jealousy there as well, you know, because I'll be talking to someone and I'll be staring at the Sierra mountains and they're in their office somewhere. Right. So um, I think they get a kick out of, um, of just kind of learning different places that I'm, that I am and have been. So yeah, it's been a good thing. And you know, a lot of my clients, you know, we, I'm, you know, I've, I've always worked with people who have the same kind of, uh, the same things I enjoy and are passionate about are the people I work with. So it makes it easier too. Cause they, I mean, I think to a certain extent they understand where I'm coming from and, you know, I think they, if they can't do it themselves, they're at least glad that somebody that they know can do some of the stuff that I'm doing. Gotcha. Now, I know we'll talk about the family company, but are your clients in and around the RV industry or is it just hodgepodge? You know, not not really. Um, I When I was living in Boulder, Boulder is a huge hub of sustainability and eco and, you know, natural foods. So that's kind of, and I'm huge into all that stuff too. So that's where a majority of my clients are. Um, I've gained a few, you know, RV clients along the way. I've done some logos for, you know, some people doing, you know, some solar work for RVs and maybe a blogger or two. So I've done a few here and there, but um, the majority of my work is still kind of in the kind of sustainability, you know, um, eco kind of green realm of business. Gotcha. How has work been for you? Do you feel like you're more productive on the road versus, you know, working back at your home in Colorado or is there a difference that you see, you know, as far as just your work ethic and not in the sense that, uh, let me, I guess I always have a hard time phrasing this because it's like you're almost asking someone, yeah, I don't work as much as I used to, but what <laughs> I feel for me, I'm a lot more productive because I don't waste a lot of time in traffic and running errands and doing these mm. things. So how have you seen your pr- productivity since moving full time? Is it better, worse, same? I think it's just shifted, you know, because I always feel like, you know, when you're traveling, there's always something you want to be doing, right? There's always like the hike you want to do or something to go, you know, explore. So I feel like maybe, and I feel like I could always, when I lived in in my apartment in Colorado, I could always figure out other things to do besides work, you know, but I, I do feel like I'm, I'm focused in a way where like, all right, I, I, 
I won't feel good about myself to go hiking until I do these four items. So that helps. I feel like I'm more creative, you know, being, you know, a graphic designer and artist, you know, I work on logos and certain things where I need a level of creativity. And I feel like I being on the road is kind of like opened up my creative side a lot more than like being in an apartment where I'm like, I just, I can't get anything going when I'm constantly, you know, my, you know, I'm using my brain and so much more when you're traveling around so much more, I feel like my creativity is opened up and that's, I think helped me a lot. So that's, that's been the, the best part of it. It's just been the creative aspect. And I feel like I'm, I'm not having those lulls like I've had before. Yeah. I took a, a large hiatus from what I'll consider graphic design. Like I hadn't really used InDesign in probably a decade. And then when I started doing oh, the wow. magazine again, you know, I had to like get back into it. I had designed magazines before, but it is, it's like, it's something I try to talk to people about the creative space in your brain. Like you can't do that eight hours straight. You need, like, oh, no. you've got to be able to go outside and walk around a little or even veg your brain watching some Netflix kind of just because <laughs> otherwise all you're seeing is, you know, just like trying to figure out how to be creative and it's really kind of tough. And it's the other way around too. I mean, I used to do sales and when all I was doing was sales, I had to find something to be creative, you know, otherwise I just would have gone nuts, yeah, yeah. you know, cause I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, it's like one of those kind of things. Now, one of the things I would like to talk about too is, you know, the family business. And this is how you and I connected. Let's get into mm -hmm. what the family started and what you guys are working on. Yeah. So my parents, they started an RV awning business uh, called Tough Top Awnings. About the same time, I guess I started my graphic design business. So yeah, so they made so they started making, you know, replacement RV awnings. You know, so if you need the fabric, you know, our, our, your awning rips, um, that's what my parents do. So yeah, they started. Yeah, they started that like 2006, and they traveled for a while. And they would travel and make these things. I don't know how they did it because they were carrying these sewing machines around, and they taught you know they taught themselves how to do all of it. And then since that time, it's grown exponentially. And now we're outside Vancouver, Washington. We have a facility, and my parents are pretty much you know retired now. And then my sister and her now ex husband run a lot of the business, and I do the marketing, the advertising, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's been going well. We've got anywhere between four to eight employees, depending on how busy we are. So yeah, things have been going been going good. And just so people understand, we're talking about the replacement of the fabric from the awnings and like the slide covers. It's none of the mechanics that go into it. It's just the fabric itself. Just yeah, it's just the fabric. There's so many different manufacturers out there that have their own kind of hardware that it's just too hard to to do the hardware part. So yeah, so it's you know you need you need an awning. We ask you a series of questions and we do the sewing and we have videos to show you how to put it back up and all that stuff. So yeah, no hardware, just just the material. Gotcha. And my understanding from just the last time we talked was that there is a big difference in materials. And I think we, I've, I've discovered that being a full-time RVer that they use kind of some of the, and I, I don't want to, you know, bash it in a way, but they use the, the kind of the cheapest components they can just because when you start adding all these things and if you add high quality of anything, you know, brass fittings to all this different kind of stuff, it really starts to add up. So this isn't, yes. you're like replacing the awning cover you have, you're basically upgrading to something that's probably going to last you a lot longer. Oh yeah. We use like a high quality vinyl. So it is a lot better. Yeah. It's a lot better than anything that the manufacturers are putting out. And yeah, we have a five year warranty, pretty much no questions asked. So I think that right there says that we, you know, we stand behind, you know, the fabric for sure. So yeah, it is a good quality. And I was just actually just putting together a video of, uh, 
little how-to video we were doing and we put, you know, the fabrics next to each other and just like by looking at them, you can, you know, you can tell the difference. So yeah, it is much better than you would normally have on a new, a new rig that just comes off, off the assembly lines. And like, how long should an awning, the material side of it, how long should it really be able to last? I mean, I know warranties are different than what you really should expect out of it. And especially full timers. I think sometimes as full timers, we don't step back and say to ourselves, these rigs were not made to live in full time. They were made to be used, you know, even three months out of the year max. Like that's just how yeah. So yeah, and for the awnings, that's tough, really a tough question to answer because it all depends on, you know, I think someone who, you know, is maybe in the Pacific Northwest and don't use it as much as someone who's in Arizona where the you know the sun gets on it every day. Um, there's a huge difference there for sure. But you know, I, I you know we've been in business long enough. We've had people say their awnings have lasted for ten years don't always know, you know, how, how they're using it, but yeah, it all just kind of depends on use, just like you, you know, you do with, uh, with any other components in your RV. So it's kind of a, yeah, kind of a tough question to answer, but you know, like, like I said, a seven, I would say five to seven years, it should, they should last unless something, you know, storm or something like that. But even then they should withstand a lot of that as well. Without a doubt. So when you're not working and when you're not traveling, what's your kind of exploring? What does that look like? What do you like to do? Where do you like to stay? Where do you like to go? Uh, I love being in the woods. You know, that's one of my favorite things. You know, I have a dog, you know, I, my travel maybe is transitioning a little because I'm huge into hiking and that's what my dog and I pretty much always do when we're not, you know, you know, when we're in one place, we, I go to places to go hike and that's what I love to do. I'm more of a mountain person than anything else. Um, my dog's getting older, so that's been a transition for me where we can't do as much hiking as uh, we both want to do, you know, but just to be outside, you know, especially during this kind of crazy time, like I've basically have been in the woods all year long and it's been, and that's, yeah, that's where I feel the most at peace and the most happy. Did you know that before full-time RVing? I mean, I feel like as a city kid, I always really enjoyed the city. But since I've gotten out, I just love like these small community rural areas, but I never knew that because all I've ever lived in are big cities. Did you know that you were kind of a woodsy guy or did it, did you, <laughs> did you happen upon yeah. it once you got in the RV? No, I've all, I grew up in Iowa and like I said, my parents, they, they brought us out West a lot. So, I mean, basically when I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to come out to Colorado. So yeah, I've always been a mountain person and you know, I lived in Colorado for 17 years uh, did my fair share of, of hiking and camping, and, you know, some off-roading and, you know, a little bit of other crazier stuff when I was younger. So yeah, I've always felt more at peace and more happy in the mountains for sure. You know, so that's, so this, this was added to an RVing where I could like, oh yeah, I can do this and get out every morning. I can have a different view or I can have a, you know, a 360 view of the mountains. I was, yeah, that's an easy sell. Is there a place uh, for me? It's Lone Rock, Utah. I mean, if someone's like, if you had to go back to one place, where would you go? For me, I just, whatever it is, I really enjoy that. Is there a place that you would always want to go back to? And at least, you know, if not every year, every other year? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, I think the Redwoods is one. I think my favorite place probably on earth is probably the Tetons. Um, I had an opportunity to, to spend a summer working in Jackson Hole. And, you know, you see so there's a drive, you know, you drive from Jackson Hole to the Tetons. There's a section where there's some hills and you can't see the Tetons quite yet. But it's almost like my, I'd be driving and I would actually, my heart would start pumping faster when I knew like right around this bend, like the whole range opens up. 
you know, so there's some things that are special about the Tetons. And like I said, I, I probably first went there and I was probably 10 and I've probably been there, you know, 20 times over all these years. So that's a place I could, I could just put up shop and, and spend a lot of quality time at for sure. Now, do you have like a, a state count? Do you do that? Do you know how many states you've uh, lived and worked in? You know, I don't. It's mostly been from Colorado West. You know, I think when I first started traveling, I thought well, I would hit all 50 states by now. But I travel slow. And then I think I just, you know, there's so much to do in all these states. And, you know, Utah and Idaho and, you know, even Washington, which I've spent a lot of time. I just went to Mount Rainier for the first time two weeks ago and was like blown away and realized that I still haven't seen, you know, like the cascade, you know, the cascades in Washington. And so most of my time has been in, in the in the West. So I probably haven't hit, you know, a ton of states because of that. I just can't get myself out of here. You know, it's a theme that's come up. I mean, literally my last podcast that I was interviewing someone, they were really just kind of venturing in their own state because they had to work during the summers. They really hadn't had an opportunity. They lived in uh, Michigan and obviously it's, yeah. it's like you have three months out of the year, they basically said it's good weather and they had to work during those three months. There really is so much you can do from your home state. There is this kind of pressure to get out and you know see all 48 states. I know I was gung-ho for that. I think I'm on 44. But oh, there, wow. yeah, we've, yeah, we've really moved through it. But now it's kind of like, I want to do it again and I want to go slower. <laughs> You know, like I really want to spend time in these different areas because actually there are a couple, you know, like states where it was like, <laughs> like the state check off where we're just going to check it <laughs> off. We'll be there in two nights, get the stamp, get the sticker and then go. Yep. And now I'm kind of like, on. I want to go back, you know, I want to go back and see what it has to offer. And, and as I meet people that are kind of, I'll say experts in their area and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in your old home state. What do I need to do? It's just a long list of amazing things. So I, I don't want people to think that you have to go full time and travel all 48. You probably can get yourself a nice little setup and just do so many amazing things in your home state for a long time and still continue to get surprised. I mean, like what you just said, you know, as long as you lived in Washington, it gets surprised. It's interesting. Yeah, there's something and there's something about traveling slow where you get to get to experience so much more. It's almost like you become a local for a little while and you get to meet people and they'll tell you about the little things that, you know, you wouldn't know if you're just passing through and you get to spend quality time. You know, like my mom was just talking about she hasn't been to the coast and but she, every time she goes, it's windy, you know, and I just kind of said, well, yeah, last time I was on the coast, I was there for I spent, you know, two months on the coast. So if it was windy, I just went inland and did something else and then waited for the weather to turn nice. Right. But a lot of people don't have the luxury to, you know, to do that, you know, because they're, you know, have a, a long weekend or, you know, a week vacation. So there's something about traveling slow where you get to, you know, really experience things at a, at a, a, a different way than you would if you're just trying to put that into a, you know, a vacation. I haven't had a lot of solo travelers on the show. What do you do in the state connected you know, being out and kind of solo traveling? Oh, it can be tough. Um, I, so I joined the Escaper group about two and a half years ago. Um, so the first two and a half years or so, I was pretty much on my own all the time. So basically anybody that I met, you know, usually like we're locals, you know, having a dog is a great way to meet people. I would just have to go to a coffee shop and someone would, you know, want to talk to me about my dog. And I'm a, I'm a big beer lover. So I would go to, you know, breweries and I would meet people that way. But lately it's been, you know, most of my, I've traveled a lot with the escapers. So basically up until when I got up to Washington this whole year, you know, I started the year in Arizona and then I went to their big events 
in January and then traveled with them with one, you know, the group. We went, all went to Baja and traveled the peninsula. And I and then COVID happened, came back and I hopped to another group, a bunch of solar travelers, and we did California up until when I came up here to hang out with my family. So that's a good group. That's been the kind of the group I've leaned on the most in terms of like staying connected and kind of building a community of friends and people, travel friends and people around. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it being talked about sometimes that one, some people think that solo traveling doesn't exist. And I'm like, no, it exists. There's tons of people that oh, yeah. do it, you know, which is funny. They're like, there's people that even say, well, I'll wait until I find someone and then I'll travel. And I'm like, no, don't do that. It's like waiting until you're no. ready to have a kid. You'll never be ready. Just just go. And there are some great groups. I mean, I definitely want to, at some point, have kind of the founders of both, uh, you know, escapees and uh, what was the other one I'm thinking of? Escapers? Is that what it is? Yeah. The only difference is, yeah, escapees and escapers. And um, Yeah. So the escapees are the, is, is how it started. Right. So that's like the, you know, kind of the older, more retired crowd and escapers is the, you know, the younger travelers who work and travel at the same time. Without a doubt. Yeah. I need yeah. to definitely have both the representatives, because I think one's the, the, like the original founders, I want to say daughter still kind of runs it. And then I think it's a family that's kind of picked up and ran the escapers thing too. And I think there's just, it's a great community and I think people need to know about it. So I definitely, it was a good reminder that I got to try to get them on the show. Now, yeah, it is really, yeah, it's a really good group of people. And there's, you know, there there's events all over the place. And I mean, I would say there's a good group of those people who travel with each other all the time. You know, there might be solo travelers who are, you know, singles, but they're never alone. Right. So yeah, if you think, you know, you are going to just be out there floating or floating in space, you know, it's not the case. And for Mike, you know, I like the balance, you know, I, I like spending time. I'm pretty independent. So it's good to be able to branch off and go do my own thing. And, you know, no one, you know, says twice about it. And then, you know, you, you're always, you know, connecting with them on, on social media. So I always know where people are and you can pick up and, you know, find another group. And it's, yeah, it's really nice when you need to have people around or there and you need to do your own thing. Everybody understands and you can go do your own thing and, you know, catch back up with them later. Without a doubt. Do you know about the Nomad Near Me app? Have you heard about that? No, I don't believe I have not heard of that one. Yeah, it's kind of new. Um, Nathan and Marissa from Less Junk More Journey, they launched it. I guess best way to describe it is it lets, as you connect with someone, become friends with someone on the app. And you really should become friends with people that you actually do know. It's not like Instagram where everyone can just follow each other. But it'll okay. let me know when you are within like 20 miles. Or, well, it'll actually let me know wherever you are in the country. But I couldn't use it to like take directions to find you. So it's more, gotcha. of, a, it's more of a radius. So if you came within 20 miles of me, it's basically telling me that you're very 20 miles for, you know, a nomad is nothing. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it'll That's show. like next door. It is, like yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, like I can go to the app right now and it's, it's only on iOS right now. But I know they're working on Android just in case anyone's listening that like goes to it and says, Damien, I couldn't find that app anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really cool that it's a radius as opposed to, you know, like like uh, other apps that I've seen where it's like they're in your campground, which is like you get the alert where it's like, hey, da da da, are in your campground. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't want that. Like, don't tell yeah. people. So and it, you can toggle it on and off. But I just feel like it's a, a cool app if you wanting to connect with people. And it's just easy to see when you get an area, you open it up and you see other people. And so far, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's a pretty cool little app. Um, yeah, that is cool. And I like the fact that, you know, cause I think when you're a traveler, you're so used to being flexible. So you might be just going in an area, not knowing what really what you're doing. And all of a sudden connect with somebody, you might be 20 miles away that takes you down 
you know, figuratively and literally like entirely down a different road. Without it, which is super cool, super cool and exciting. Yeah. And then it's hard to always keep track of where everyone is. I mean, people are on Instagram unless they're being very vocal about specifically where they are. It's just hard. Um, I know when I check into an area and post it on Instagram, if I happen to have anyone that lives in the area, which is always funny to me too, especially I spent a lot of time in Texas and I'd be like, Hey, I'm here. And they're like, Hey, I'm in Texas too. You should come visit. And I'd like put in where they are and it's like eight hours. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, Texas is probably not a good example. Right. This isn't Rhode Island, you know, like Rhode (laughs) Island is like, yeah, no matter where we are, we could visit each other rather quickly. Texas is, you might as well have been in five states over. Yeah, it's one of the exceptions that's, yeah, that's, that doesn't hold true. Yeah, because that's such a big place. Without a doubt. All right. So here on the wrap up, um, I like to do what's called a high low. And then I want to get into where people can find you. And then obviously uh, the business side of stuff too, if they need to. But what's been a low on the road? And it can't be flat tire, bad internet, or now COVID I'm adding to the list. So it can't be one of those three <laughs> things. But what's been kind of a low that maybe you just didn't expect? I would say, like I said, I think I mentioned earlier that I had uh, these two weeks of, of, I was in Colorado and I was tr- getting myself back to Washington and it was like the end of summer. And I, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, cause I had this big rig. I didn't want to drive through Denver. So I was like, all right, what's the quickest way to get myself over these mountains? And I ended up in Utah and I didn't realize it was like still a hundred degrees and it was just so hot. And then I ended up in, I was out Salt Lake city and then I was trying to, you know, keep my dog cool and ended up putting my rig under the shade and I blew out my, my solar system. So that went, and then all these different things started happening. So I just had these, you know, like one, you know, I had like a hundred flies in my camper and then my camper started making all this noise. I thought I was going to break down. So it was just like this two weeks of just like stress. So that was a rough, you know, two weeks of, of travel with all these, like every day, something was like a a new thing that I had to deal with. And I think I had like some water lines on my camper break and all kinds of different things. So that was kind of rough. That was probably like the lowest point. So I just was got back and I kind of, I think I might've said this in the last podcast. I just wanted to do like the old nineties movies where I'm walking away in slow motion and take the match and throw it behind me and light the camper on fire. Don't flinch when it explodes. You just keep (laughs) walking. It's all slow-mo. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I I don't think people understand when you're having problems with your home, that's also your transportation. It's like everything going bad at once. It's, you know, for the equivalent of your house to be the roof leaking, the toilet backing up and your car is broken down too all at once. It's a lot to deal with, you know? Yeah. And you can't really kind of get away from it. You know, like sometimes, yeah, maybe if your house is in disarray, you're like, oh, we'll go camping for a weekend or grab a hotel. Yeah. Everything's yeah. Right there. Like if you're going to go somewhere, at least with me, a lot of times I was driving my camper to go do it. Right. So yeah, it was just a lot to like take in, you know, and I think the fact it was just so hot and I just couldn't find a way to like get, you know, to get cool. And I have, you know, I was worried about my dog. So yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a lot when, yeah, it's, you're talking about everything that encompasses your life, all kind of, you know, having issues all at the same time. Yeah. I think a lot of people that maybe have an RV, they think, well, I've seen RVs have ACs. Yes, they have ACs, but it's not like your home where if it's a hundred degrees out, you can get it down to 70 in your home. You can't do that in your RV, even if you're in shade and running them 24 seven, it's just not built that way. You know, I think it's, yeah, I think it's like a 15 degree really different. So if it's a hundred out, you might be able to get it to like 82, 83 five inside, which is still not fun. 
and then you still have to find a place, you know, I'm, I'm a big boondocker. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, I don't really, I never like to run my generator. So yeah. So I wouldn't be able to use an air conditioner a lot anyway, because I'd just be in the middle of nowhere and I didn't have the power to run it anyway. Right. So yeah, there's the other things you have to think about on top of, you know, you can't just go flip on your air conditioner like you would in your house. Now what's been a, what's been a high, what's been, a, I can't believe this is my life kind of moment that you've had in the last four years. Well, I would say at the beginning of the year, I got to travel the Baja Peninsula. So that was pretty amazing. So basically I woke up to, you know, I, I spent two months living on the beach. You know, we, there was times where, you know, we get up in the mornings and the beach, you know, the water is right there. We sip our coffee and we, there people would come by selling food, you know, like fresh fish and, you know, empanadas and bread. And, you know, it's, that was a pretty good, that was a pretty good life, you know, Every day just consisted of beach time and good beer and good food. And that was, um, yeah, I could, I could go back and do that again. Now, that's definitely something you want to do in a caravan, I feel like. Do you agree with that or is, should be people trying to go down there solo? Uh, I think you can do it solo, but I think for all, all purposes, I think having, having a caravan is probably the best bet because, you know, safety in numbers. Um, it's, it's really safe down there. The, the, the only part I would say that's, you have to concern yourself and having a caravan is important is that you'll go through multiple hours of no cell, of no cell service. Mm. So you might be driving along and if you break down and you're by yourself, uh, you're, a, you could get into a lot of trouble. Right. So I would say, you know, I think, you know, people always say, yeah, Mexico isn't safe and it completely is. But I would say the one big thing is, is that cause you could easily go five hours and not have a signal. So to have other people, cause that did happen with a friend, so a friend of ours, I wasn't with them, but they broke down. If they weren't with people, uh, it would have presented a whole lot of other problems. That's just good advice. I mean, that's what I kind of see too, that the, the safety is not the, the real factor. It's just more of if something went wrong or, you know, if you needed help getting something fixed, it's just nice to have the numbers. You can jump into someone else's vehicle. You know, you can be in else's, someone else's vehicle while yours is getting worked on. Cause you know, that's my luck. That's when something would break down is when I'm way, way South of the border. Yeah. And you just don't want something like that to happen. And usually, yeah, when you're with a caravan of people, you have a, a, you know, a variety of people with a lot of different talents who can all pull together to help, you know, fix whatever problem needs to be fixed, which is a great thing about RVers is you always have this immense talent of, of, of people's abilities to help you do things. And, you know, I think if anytime you really need that, you're right. It's in a place like Mexico where, you know, you might, you know, not, you know, even if you're somewhere where someone can possibly help you, the skill levels might not be there to fix a complicated rig, for instance, or whatever else might come up. So, yeah, to have people around. Plus, it's just more fun that way. Without it, I don't know why I had this moment. To go adventure. With this moment thinking where it's like someone's like, yeah, my, my axle broke. Did anybody know how to fix my axle? And here's Rick saying, no, but I can replace your awning. (laughs) Wait, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. No, you don't understand, man. These are awesome. (laughs) Which is kind of a good transition. I wanted to make a little joke, but then a good transition. Let's talk about where people can find uh, the family business. And then we can talk about where people can find you. And I'll link all this down below. So you don't have to try to write it down, folks. And you can just go in and click it. But where can people find the family company? Yeah, the best place is is just toughtopawnings.com. And from there we've, you know, we're all over this all the social stuff as well, but you can get all those links from the homepage on the website. So that's the easiest way to to explain it. That's awesome. And I just happened to go to the website yesterday. I for some reason I don't remember there being slide cover replacements. Is that new or did I just miss it last time? Is that a new product or 
Um, no, that's okay. been, I think the last new product that we put out, we started doing some patio awnings for, uh, for the trunk camp, for the truck campers. Gotcha. But, um, the, yeah, the slide outs have been something we've had since day one. So the slide outs and the patios are the two big sellers. Gotcha. It might just be that I've been yeah. shopping for those for myself personally. And, you know, when you're looking for something, then you start noticing it everywhere. Kind of yeah. <laughs> so what about you personally? Where can people, if someone's like, you know what, I need to get some graphic design work and I'd really like to support another nomad, where can they find you? Uh, again, like the best place would be my website is originalitydesign.com is my website. And then from there, you can get to like I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff as well. But the, all the links are there. I'm in the process of getting a new site up. So hopefully it all works. I've been having an issue with getting hacked, unfortunately. So I'm in the process of getting a new site up. But I think the current site is still there. Uh, but if you just search originality design in Facebook or Twitter as well, or Instagram, I I will usually pop up. Awesome. Well, Rick, I thank you again for coming back on the show and uh, telling your story, and I'm excited to share yeah. it. So thanks again for coming no, and hanging out with me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, yeah, doing it for a second time and uh, listening to me talk again. <laughs> that was good. Thanks, bud. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, another fun episode. And again, a big thank you to Rick for coming back a second time and sharing his story about how he went full nomadic. And again, if you want to reach out to him personally or check out Tough Top Awnings, just click on the links in the show notes on your podcast player. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest on the podcast or that guest might even be you, email us at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.